The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about Jihadi's call for mayhem at Rio Games. Now, this happens to be the headline of one of the few articles I was able to find on this topic. And um, I posted uh, this upcoming show on social media, and I got a, a, a reply saying, what mayhem, which is exactly the point of what, why I'm talking about this today with my uh, guest, Dr. Sean McFate. Um, indeed, you, one would wonder, what mayhem indeed? Um, it has been kept really, really quiet. Uh, you would think that everything was just fine and dandy at the, at the Olympics, not just actually about terrorism, which we'll, of course, get into today, but um, about all the other problems that we heard of somewhat before the Olympics started, and it's been radio silence since. Um, so I've been waiting for the shoe to drop, and I think probably many of you have been too, but you wouldn't know about these shoes if you were trying to hear about them in the mainstream media. Now, you may have heard a previous show that I did in which I talked about uh, the various dangers of going to Rio and warned you all not to go, stay home, watch it on TV. Uh, Things like, of course, Zika, but also crime and polluted water and body parts washing up on the beach and the police needing to borrow toilet paper from the neighbors, Uh, the first responders at the airport holding signs saying, welcome to hell, and so on. And um, But that's kind of after the games have started. I mean, we hear about all the wonderful things happening. Of course, the U.S. is is really uh, winning, (laughs) really outdoing everybody else. Yay, USA. Um, But... But, you know, these other things seem to have fallen into the background. You wouldn't know, <laughs> other, than, other than perhaps you saw the pictures of the green water, um, which might have been somewhat alarming to you. But in general, we really haven't been hearing about much. Now, as you may have, if you listened to this last show, and you can certainly still find it in archives after you listen to today's show, um, you would have heard about how I was talking about all these problems in Rio basically laying out the welcome mat for terrorists. I mean, in years gone by, obviously big events like the Olympics or a Super Bowl, um, you know, things like that. And, of course, the Olympics are even are much bigger and much more, attra- much more attractive target than the Super Bowl. But all of these things um, would have attracted terrorists to begin with these days. But, but with all the problems in Rio... 
it was it was it was laying out a welcome mat. It was making it even more desirable for terrorists to attack. And so we haven't heard of any big attacks, but indeed there have been some things going on, and we're going to be talking about them today. So let me first introduce my guest, Dr. Sean McFate. He is uh, he has served as a paratrooper in the U.S. Army's 82nd Airborne Division. He's worked for a private military corporation where he ran operations similar to those in um, the books, some of the books that he's written. He's written um, The Modern Mercenary, Private Armies and What They Mean for World Order. And his new book is called Shadow War, a Tom Locke novel. Well, without further ado, <laughs> uh, Dr. McFate, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol. It's great to be here. You know, I would imagine that this is something that's been bothering you, too, um, the lack of, of coverage of, um, well, the dangers in general, but particularly in regard to terrorism. Yes. I mean, I, in, in one sense, I'm relieved, of course, that there has not been uh, a major terrorist attack, uh, a spectacular attack in Rio. On the other hand, I think that this is something that has uh, been a bit overlooked uh, because Rio has been targeted by ISIS. We, we've seen uh, in the past, in leading up to this, that um, Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, has basically translated all of ISIS's core propaganda into Portuguese and has found different ways to stream it into Brazil to try to attract a lone wolf attacker to go after either an American target, uh, an Israeli target, a British target, or a French target. Uh, and police right now are working in Rio to try to find those lone wolves and stop them. Yes, and in fact, they have already um, collected 14 of them. That's right. So in, in July, actually, on a tip from the FBI, uh, Rio police did roll up an ISIS cell uh, in, uh, in, in Rio, and 12 suspects are in jail. The question is, are there, many other, are there other people out there, either as a cell organization or as a lone wolf? Um, and what ISIS has also encouraged them to do, we know this by intercepting some of their traffic, is to either poison, that actually comes up with 17 different ways to, to kill um, Americans, etc. One is with poison or taking a drone, like an off-the-shelf toy drone, and weaponizing it. Um, and they're trying to... You know, what, can I, wait, wait yeah. this is very important stuff that you're talking about. And um, where I am, I don't know if you can hear it, but that is my little dog <laughs> arranging for a terrorist attack of his own. So let me just bring him to where I am, and we will continue, because what you're saying is super important. So just one second. Actually, maybe we can go to a break now, if the producer is listening into this, and we will come back without a dog. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, we're talking today about jihadis call for mayhem at Rio Games. I was just dealing with a little mayhem myself <laughs> in the form of a little poodle named Bizu, which means kisses. Um, and I wanted to make sure that we did not miss any of what my guest, Dr. Sean McFate, is saying by, um, by barking that... Uh, is too loud. So let's go back. I'm sorry for the interruption. So, Dr. McFate, you know, yes, you were talking about how um, ISIS has been advertising for, um, in, in, and in Portuguese yet, um, for people to come to Brazil. I mean, I assume, you know, I, I saw some of these ads and uh, advertising for Portuguese speakers. Um, they, I, there was a quote. Um, Lone, let's see, lone wolf from anywhere in the world can move to Brazil now. Visas and tickets and travel to Brazil will be very easy to get, inshallah. So does that mean, I mean, I took that to mean that if you were a lone wolf, if I were a lone wolf and I wanted to go to Brazil, that I just had to contact ISIS and they would arrange for everything? Well, it's not known exactly how that would work. Um, what, they, what, what we do know is that they're trying to inspire an event like Nice in France where uh, somebody took a truck and basically ran over several people uh, horrifically, or Orlando, Florida, here in our country. Um, what they want to do is they want to encourage anybody who basically wants to become a martyr to do so. How they would materially support them, it's kind of unknown. Uh, we do know that they have money and they do support people, but how they actually would do it in this case is, is uh, still a bit mysterious. Uh-huh. And um, the 14 people, we were starting to talk about that, the 14 people who they did catch um, were Brazilians. So I guess they didn't need visas or travel money um, 
What can you tell us about that? Well, so they, they rolled the FBI. This actually tip came from the FBI. They, they through their own sources, um, their own intelligence sources, or uh, we, the U.S., told Rio that there, we believe that you, we have high confidence that you have an ISIS cell in Rio right now. Uh, and that led to the roll-up and arrest of, of several individuals who were, were, were Brazilian. And of course, the, the real challenge for any country is it's one thing if you have foreigners who come into your country who are sort of terrorists, but if they're your own citizens, you have to go through due process of law, et cetera. Um, the Brazilian police are actually pretty hardcore, if that makes sense, but they're hardcore in dealing with favelas. And what a favela is, is these like slum shanty towns around Brazil, which are havens of organized crime, uh, which is a different type of mission set than counterterrorism. Um, so what the U.S. has done is also offered training for the police to be to create counterterrorism units. Um, but there, there's only so much training you can do a few weeks ahead of a huge event like the Olympics. And ultimately, you know, we have a fingers crossed sort of strategy, in my opinion. Well, now, I've been trying to sort of reconcile these two pictures um, because, you know, there have been, and I'm sure you know about this, um, like the, the police needing to borrow toilet paper and, and, I mean, all the poor resources that they had for the police and the military and, you know, due to a lack of money. So do you, and now then we, now we hear that the FBI has been helping them and that some of them anyway came to, um, some came to the United States, some of the Brazilian police or military came to the United States to be trained at some large events in the United States. So, I mean, is it that as we got closer to the Olympics, the U.S. started thinking, oh, my God, they really don't have their act together. We better help them. That's exactly right. In fact, it wasn't just the U.S. Also, Russia and China offered help, uh, this type of training, specialized training to Brazil. Brazil opted to, to go with the U.S. option, if you will. Um, you know, but this is the problem. I mean, the Olympics are a worldwide platform for ISIS. If they could, if they could stage a spectacular attack or even a small one at Rio, it would get instant worldwide media coverage, which is exactly what they want. That's their bloodline. And that's how they, that's how they thrive. Uh, it is, that's the meaning of terrorism, political terrorism. So we know that they, they want to do, they've already targeted it. They, they've sent out the instructions uh, in Portuguese and in Arabic around the world. Um, but there's just so much any police force, even a really good one, could do an event like this to stop a lone wolf attack. Yes, I know, because there are just so many places. I mean, there's, there's the, um, the venues for the Olympics themselves, but then there are all these uh, soft targets. Where, I mean, you know, countless restaurants and beaches. Um, that was one of the things that, that they were concerned about because there have been attacks on beaches. As you mentioned, Nice uh, was one, and there have been others. Um, and so, I mean, it wouldn't really take very much. But tell us about, you started to talk about the 17 ways you know, what's yes. that song? Some, some number of ways to kill your lover? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's gruesome, is it not? Um, so what, they, what ISIS is, is doing is the way they're communicating this is through um, 
encrypted apps for your phone. So iPhone, Android, you can get an, an app, for example, called Telegram. And it's like an encrypted system where they, they, ISIS can, can give instructions to potential lone wolves or cells out there. And one of the instructions they have given is like 17 ways to kill people. Like here's who you want to target. You want to target either an American, an Israeli, a Brit, or a French person. And here are 17 ways we want you to, you know, we recommend you do it. And these are ways that are, you can go to your off-the-shelf store and, and buy stuff. You don't need to have fancy weapons or guns. And so one of the things is, is poison, like rat poison uh, or, or drug overdose. Uh, another thing is to go and buy like a toy drone, like those, you know, quadcopters or something, and weaponize it. You can put a charge of explosives on it or, or something like that. Um, and so they're, they're, you know, ISIS is trying to give ideas to inspire lone wolf attackers uh, in Rio right now. Well, you know, it's amazing. So why do you think that there hasn't, that nothing has happened yet? That's a great question. Um, well, first of all, they, they, the, the, Brazil has put, not surprisingly, a tremendous amount of security around the actual Olympic venues themselves, but they've hardened them, and they've made that very difficult to, to infiltrate. Um, now, ISIS, of course, has recommended to its, its followers that they go after soft targets, and these are discos, restaurants, beaches, places that won't really have uh, security around them. Um, it is also possible that, you know, ISIS uh, hasn't done anything. They haven't been able to, to you know, after that cell got rolled up, that was maybe their, their main effort. Uh, I, would, I would hope that's the case. Um, or they could just be waiting for the, for the final conclusion of the games where they'll have the most coverage. And I think that's the, the worst case scenario. Well, you know, actually, besides Rio, I mean, it is kind of amazing that some of their 17 ways hasn't been happening yet um, as it is, you know? I mean, like um, putting, putting some kind of poison into, let's say, you know, the typical American thing would be like putting some kind of poison into the uh, sugar or the, the, well, I guess it's packets, but like the milk or some, some kind of a thing that, uh, a, a community thing, uh, like at Starbucks, you yeah. know? Well, yeah, that's a great, that's also a really good question. I mean, you know, th- this is going to sound really vile, but ISIS is a vile group. Um, for them to, to get a meat, they need to get, they want to score a big meaty hit, obviously. Yeah. And for that to happen, they need something that's spectacular. So, Two or three or six people vomiting in the street of Rio from bad milk or something is not going to be, it's not going to rise to the level of a, of a terror attack like 9-11. Um, and that's their fundamental problem. They don't have, uh, you know, 9-11 had a very well-financed, very well-trained cell that pulled that off uh, on an unsuspecting nation against soft targets. Uh, Brazil is suspecting. It's, it's hard to tar- targets, and even though, but they would need something like Nice or Orlando, and um, and for them to get firearms and do that would would be a challenge. And that's you know, but but as I say, hope is not a strategy. Um, and this is the the lone wolf um, scenario is still a very viable scenario. 
Yes, it does. I mean, nowadays it is true. You don't really need um, to know how to make a big bomb or or, uh, or to get guns. I mean, certainly the truck in Nice was an example of that. Um, but, you know, it, it, it could be, <laughs> I don't want to give it, if any terrorists are listening to this, would you please <laughs> turn off your computer? Um, but, you know, I, I mean, it could be with just if they had enough people, it could be where people spread out over the city and plant this poison or, or something like that. And it would be a more dramatic kind of effect rather than, you know, just six people getting sick. Yeah. So there's a couple ways that they could, they could pull this off. They could have one person with something like a firearm who just goes and, as we saw in Orlando, or took a truck and just drive, plow through a crowd. They could do something like that. That is gruesome. A lot of people dead in a short period of time, right? That's when, when they could do it. Um, if they were doing something that's not violent like that, they, they could do some sort of horribly a mass poisoning, horribly. But if they could do it in a timed attack, what would happen all over the city at once, that would also send a message. If, if you, know, you know, 10 hospitals, ER rooms are suddenly filled mm. with people who all had the same poison, that would be a terrorist incident. There'd be no question about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting that um, you would think that they would be able to find lone wolves in, in Brazil already. Um, because there is so much before the Olympics, you know, there there has been so much crime. I mean, there has already been so much crime, and um, and the drug lords and all of that. So much unrest that you would think that there it would have been relatively easy to find people who were unhappy. And, and there is this unhappiness that you know there are people protesting about how so much money is being spent on the Olympics rather than things like hospitals and services for the people. Right. I mean, in the backdrop of, I mean, maybe one reason why this, th- this threat is not getting um, the attention it's due is because there's so many other big messes out there, you know, like the, the really bad economy, the corruption and the impeachment trial, Zika. I mean, take your pick, right? It's a nightmare. Uh, Brazil's uh, is kind of in a nightmare scenario. Um, you'd think that with other favelas and the poverty, that there would be a lot of disenfranchised right. youth and people, right? right. Um, and, and that could still be the case. Um, but the, the, the difference between France, for example, and um, Brazil is this, is that France has uh, an, uh, you know, a Muslim community that is not well integrated and very angry at France, that's somewhat politicized. Brazil doesn't have it. It has about you know, six or seven million Muslims who are reasonably well integrated into Brazilian society. Um, and it's, we so far haven't seen non-Muslims become martyrs, like, you know, taking a, a, a poor, you know, kid out of a favela with an AK-47, it seems, looking at the, the past history of terrorism in this case, that he or she would be unlikely to go down to a disco near the Olympics and start shooting people. Um, it's more likely that he or she would go and start mugging people, which has actually happened, as you know. Um, but it's, it's uh, not the same type of radical jihad 
fortunately. Now that said, you know, there's always the possibility of, a, you know, visitors coming into Brazil. You can't shut down the airport for the Olympics, right? Um, and uh, so you can have lone wolves who are like imported into Brazil. And there's always, like we saw in Orlando, there are people who are, I, I leave it to you to, to diagnose if they're insane or not, Carol, but, you know, you know, people like who sort of have a martyr syndrome, who just want to go out in a blaze of glory, perhaps, and mm-hmm. that's always, a, that's, that's a very real threat, and it's very mm-hmm. hard for law enforcement to catch that early. Yeah, and, and um, to take a little detour for a minute from um, terrorism, um, you know, you mentioned about the crime. What, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, there has been... Um, that's kind of similar to how we haven't been hearing about the 14 terrorists or, or suspected terrorists that were arrested um, up until just recently when one of our swimmers got mugged and, and his friends and other teammates. Um, we didn't hear about crime in Rio, uh, but then when that finally came out and the IOC was trying to keep that really quiet, they were lying about it and so on um, until his mother... <laughs> spilled the beans, but um, but you know then we then we found out about a whole list of other crimes against uh, tourists and athletes and so on. Tell us about that. Well, th- this is one of the the um, general concerns about any large event, whether it's the Olympic or the World Cup for like soccer in South Africa recently, is that the organizers do everything they can to suppress bad news because they don't want to instill a panic and have people suddenly leave and the legacy of the Olympics is no mm-hmm. longer the Olympics. It's, you know, people getting mugged and stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, th- to some extent that's understandable if you're an organizer, but it also really obscures some of the bigger problems, whether that's South Africa, which also has a, a significant crime problem or Brazil and Rio is, is infamous for its its Brazil for for crime they have these again they're called favelas these are like shanty towns but they're um, they're like you know infested with organized crime and crime gangs and they're areas that even the police can't really get into they're they're like small like they're different countries almost and they're very lethal it's sort of some of them are like El Paso 1880s you know it's like sort of a frontier justice yeah. And th- and and this is a perpetual problem with um, with the big cities of Brazil, particularly in Rio. Um, and Rio tried to pacify them before the Olympics, but there's only so much they can do. Uh, and so it's it's unknown actually what uh, what the actual crime rate is in Rio right now. But you know what I'm talking about. I think it was Ryan Lochte. Is that? Yeah, some of the swimmers who got who got mugged, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and that only came out sort of uh, serendipitously, right? I mean, there's no public statements, and and the bigger question is, is you know, could there be a you know, could the could there be some ISIS event out there that's also been suppressed that was maybe perhaps foiled and suppressed or, you know, we just don't know. We may never know. And if we do find out, it'll probably be weeks from now, if not months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's the thing that is really disturbing that, I mean, of course, you know, I, I mean, the real thing is that, um, and, and I've talked about this uh, before about how, the um, International Olympic Committee should have months ago, when they started to see um, that that uh, 
Rio wasn't ready, Brazil wasn't ready, they should have either postponed the games or moved them to another country. And I think since they didn't, um, I think they're trying to keep safe face and show that, you see, there really wasn't a reason why we had to do that. Well, the, the Olympic Committee, as you all know, is also facing its own um, scandal issues about you know, uh, Russian drug testing and stuff like that. Uh, those who have watched the Olympics know that there are Russian swimmers who the other Olympic swimmers boo because they believe that they are on drugs. Um, so there's actually, you know, between that and, of course, the fraud, waste, and abuse of Brazil preparing for these games, uh, that is that is also sort of upstaged other other issues. Um, so again, I mean, in some ways, you know, the, the, the Olympics are wonderful and they're so much, so much fun to watch, and you, we 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 root for our country and our teams. But this Olympics is has so many problems to it. Um, you know, ISIS is just one component. There's all these other things going on, uh, as well as the corruption in the government, etc. Uh, and it's shining a spotlight on Brazil that probably is not the spotlight that Brazil had anticipated when they signed up for the Games. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, of course, that was part of the reason why they were given the Games, to, to give them a chance to show that they were a burgeoning country that was, you know, developing in such so many good ways and so on, and, and that really hasn't happened. But, yes, there are, of course... There are, of course, um, lots of wonderful um, wins and, and, and triumphs, um, personal triumphs, of course, of many of the athletes and, and all of that, um, that, that we should be applauding. I just, it just really always gets to me when there is some cover-up, whatever, whatever is being covered up, you know, whether it's a terrorist, whether there are terrorist, more terrorist plots or... or um, the crime or whatever. It's just that, that you know, and, and if they did, um, if they did talk about it when it happened as part of the other news of the day, it wouldn't be quite as um, titillating or worrying as when you find these things out after the fact, uh, like finding out that there were all these crimes that hadn't gotten reported. Well, of course, I mean, credibility is at issue there, right? I mean, if the, now the question is like, well, if you didn't report these crimes, then right. what else are you not reporting? And when it comes to issues, these sort of worst case scenarios like ISIS, you know, they may, maybe they do have some sort of large bomb that were, maybe it's been foiled, maybe it's not. When it's, it's you know, who knows? Um, this is something we should concern ourselves with. I mean, I don't want to take away from those who are down there who are enjoying it, but, you know, you, the idea of going down to, I mean, one of the things that uh, the, like the Olympic, the U.S. basketball team has done is that they've rented a, a ship <laughs> so that they can go to the ship, and that, that provides hmm. them some, some security as well. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Of course, it also makes them an easy target, because if you know that that ship absolutely has the you know, U.S. <laughs> Olympic basketball team on it, that, you know, but, um, you know, that there's a pro and con with, with, with specialized force protection, of course. Um, yeah, but there's many different strategies. Um, I, I think that uh, I would be very, very pleased if there's no ISIS incidents uh, through these games. And I would think that that's not just due to skill. That's also due a little bit to luck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. 
one thing I wanted to talk about was um, there's there's sort of the other side of this. There is the what's um, the Brazilian intelligence agency um, that has been um, Agencia Brasileira de Inteligencia, um, which has been trying to uh, warn people about terrorism. They've been trying to um, they warn the people about the public about dozens of possible threats daily and um, an increased risk of attacks, and they made a prevention campaign, terrorism prevention, um, in which, I love this, in which it urged the public to report suspicious people, which according to ABIN, the uh, intelligence agency, includes people who, quote, wear clothing, backpacks, and purses incommensurate to the circumstances and climate and act strangely and demonstrate intense restlessness. So it's really right. kind of interesting that even though here in the U.S. we're not really seeing this, um, that in fact there is such a campaign going on there, and some of the people in Brazil are not happy about it because they think that they're overreacting. Uh, That's a good point. And, and here's the and there's the uh, there's the music that we need to take a break. But when we come back, um, we will talk more about this. Um, my guest, Dr. Sean McFate, um, who is the author of a new book that we can talk about at the end, Shadow War, a Tom Luck novel, and is also a, um, an expert in uh, terror and security. And he has, uh, he's a professor at the National Defense University and at Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. So very excellent, <laughs> intensive analysis here when we come back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Jihadi's Call from Mayhem at Rio Games. My guest is Dr. Sean McFate. Um, he is a professor at the universities that I was mentioning before the break, and he is also an author, and we'll talk about some of his books towards the end of the show. But right now we were starting to talk about um, the other side of this in Brazil that, um, that we haven't been hearing about either, really, but about how rather than the, the citizens being happy that the Brazilian intelligence agency launched a terrorism prevention campaign and told people to report suspicious people and so on, um, and signs kind of like, if you see something, say something. Um, they are very scared because they see this as kind of like what happened in the United States, um, but they see this as the government looking for a way to have more power to um, over the citizens, you know, locking people up. And, and even there are some people who are not happy that the 14 uh, suspected terrorists, 14 so far, um, have been put in a maximum security prison. So, so, so Dr. McFate, tell us about that. Well, the Brazilian government understandably has spent a lot of money on security for this Olympics, uh, $900 million on securities. Uh, they have deployed 88,000 military personnel and police in, in securing this, which is double what London did in 2012. Uh, and this has really been a show of force to any potential terrorists, but also a show of force to, well, not deliberately to the people of, of the games in Brazil, but, um, you know, Brazil has had a, a history where you know, there's been some abuses of power and some abuses of law enforcement and military, uh, and it's, it's not the same as in our country where we stand very firmly behind our troops. Um, there is some fear and then there's some un- unrest, and I think that um, this has been if you will, the double-edged sword of, of the high level of security, it has, um, it has annoyed and irritated some members of, of Brazil, some Brazilians. Yes, I mean, because there was a, there was a law passed, or being um, a, a new terrorism law passed in advance of the games, just as part of this um, attempt to prevent terrorist attack and so on, and some of the Brazilians thought that that was kind of an abuse of power. I mean, it's similar, when I said it was like the United States, you know, like the the, um, arguments that we have about whether it's okay for the government to wiretap or whether there should be more surveillance or less surveillance, you know, privacy concerns. That's right. So, I mean, the Brazilians, um, you know, take pride in that they don't live in a, in a police state. And, you know, now Rio looks a little bit like a police state. Uh, and, this, and there's always questions, as especially as they're going through a government in crisis right now down there, going through an impeachment trial and the vice president, who's not very popular, taking over. Um, and, it, you know, there's all sorts of a confluence of factors that make uh, many Brazilians suspicious of this, and um, you know, and also, what happens after the Olympics? Do will there? You know, you can remember 
when, uh, you know, after the shoe bomber in the United States, now we all have to take off our shoes forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Will there be some residual of, you know, effects in Brazilian society after these games as a result of this, ex- you know, not excessive amount of security, but comparatively high, high level security? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um I know. And, you know, I, I actually, I was in Brazil about five years ago or so, or maybe a little more, um, because part of the, wearing the hat that I sometimes wear as an expert witness. And I had a case, um, a divorce and custody case, where the man had lived in the United States, but he was Brazilian. And I had to go to Brazil, to, uh, to Rio, to um, evaluate him for a custody evaluation. And even though this was at least five years ago, um, there was already some, not concern about terrorists, but just crime primarily. And, um, and the, the family, you know, that I was visiting or evaluating um, was careful to make sure that I didn't go anywhere um, unaccompanied. And, you know, there was already some tension even back then. So, uh, so you know, add to this uh, the real fear of ISIS and terrorism, and and that must be a rather tense place to be at this time. I think it is. I think for those, I mean, for those who go there just to see the Olympics, they may be somewhat oblivious to this, but to the actual. Yeah. You know, Rio citizen, um, this could be alarming. I mean, I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, if you were, you know, pick a city, I mean, 88,000 soldiers and and police. Mm -hmm. We're not talking just local police cops, like SWAT police, helicopters. Um, it would be, it would be alarming. It would be alarming. I think I think we would probably I would assume most Americans probably wouldn't necessarily welcome that either. Even though we've hardened ourselves as a society right. since nine eleven, but I think this is at play here. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, well, during the break, we started talking about uh, Putin and and what <laughs> what he's doing while these Olympics are going on, and and that kind of leads into your. Uh, latest book, um, the novel. So t- tell us, what's, first of all, what the, what's really happening. Currently. So what's really happening is as the world is focused on the Olympics right now, Putin, um, being the sort of sly fox he is, mm-hmm. is massing uh, tanks on the border of Ukraine uh, on the Crimean side and is cooking up, some would say, a pretext to go into into Ukraine. And whether that is a threat or he actually wants to do it, it's unknown because it's Putin. Um, but, you know, we forget that the Ukraine is a hot war. Uh, and, and Putin is a master strategist. And he is looking to reestablish um, sort of like this, not just the Soviet Union, but he has a czarist-like vision for greater Russia. And he's using all these events. He's also using the, the smokescreen of, well, if not the smokescreen, but he's using the U.S. election as well as the world focuses on other things. He's doing some really disparaging things right now in the Ukraine. Yeah, well, we're all focused here. Um, and... Um, and that leads into your now what so well before we actually talk about your novel which relates to the Ukraine let, let's just go back a step and talk about your previous book which was not a novel it was a um a nonfiction tell us about that 
Sure. So this, this book was called The Modern Mercenary, and uh, it's really about the, the global rise of mercenaries. Uh, now, in the old days, like centuries and centuries ago, mercenaries were how wars were fought because, you know, renting an army was cheaper than owning one, just like renting a car is cheaper than owning a car often. Um, and the U.S. in use of heavy use of contractors in the Iraq and Afghanistan war and elsewhere has sort of spawned an, an international industry in this. And I know this because I was in this industry in Africa for many years. And but wait, 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 wait. <laughs> explain that a little more. What do you get? <laughs> You're not saying you were a mercenary, I don't think. No, no, I was, a, I was what we call a, it's the term of ours, a private military contractor. Um, I was doing things for the U.S. government in, in Africa that would traditionally have been done by the, either the Pentagon or the CIA. And, um, and we're seeing this, this industry around the world is starting to rise. So, you know, last year, for example, in you know, Nigeria, you remember this group called Boko Haram? Oh, yeah. It's this horrible Islamic ISIS-like group in Nigeria that abducted 300 girls. Right. And, is, you know, it's been horrible. And, you know, for six years, the Nigerian military could not deal with this group, and they just hired a bunch of mercenaries last year who, who just pushed them out of the country very effectively. Um, you know, the, the Emirates have hired mercenaries, Colombian special forces mercenaries, to go into Yemen and fight Houthis in Yemen. We're seeing mercenaries in Ukraine and Iraq and Syria, you name it. Mercenaries are sort of coming back. And uh, when I was in industry, I was, I, was, I was shocked by how little attention uh, this was getting. And so I wrote this book called The Modern Mercenary about this is, this is actually what's going on. This is the state of play of the mercenary industry, and this is what it means for the, for the 21st century. Because if we're getting to a world where anybody who has enough money can wage war for whatever reason mm. they want, it will change world politics as we know it. Mm, yes, and that coupled with the um, there being no more draft, how does that, like for the well, U.S.? That's right. That, I mean, the, the reason why the, the U.S. didn't really hire mercenaries, but the, a lot of the, the, the private contractors that did hire in Iraq and Afghanistan are looking for work elsewhere, and that's what's taking them to places like Africa, the Middle East, South Asia. Um, and the reason we have that is because the U.S., it's, it's all volunteer army, uh, which we're very proud of as Americans, could not get enough volunteers to sustain two long wars, one in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. And so what policymakers did instead is contract out the difference. They decided, well, we, we're short, you know, several tens of thousands of, of troops, so we'll just hire contractors. Um, and people don't know this, but, you know, half of our armed forces in Iraq and Afghanistan were contracted, half. Now, this, I'm not talking about, you know, infantry men and stuff like that. I'm talking mostly, vastly mostly logistics, but they do hire now, like, trigger pullers and other things as well. Um, and so now that the U.S. is leaving Iraq and Afghanistan, has left it for the most part, those people are now elsewhere. They're, they're floating in this free market for a force around the world. Wow. Um, so... Uh... But how was the, I mean, wasn't that a rather risky thing for the U.S. to do? Like, how 
where did these people come from and how did the U.S. know that we could trust them to be on our side? Well, like so much with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, it didn't, didn't go according to plan. Uh, and so sometimes people were reacting rather than planning, um, and we don't know. So when, of, those, of those contractors, only a minority are actually American. So, you know, and it's even worse today. Now we have, for every one troop in Afghanistan, we have three contractors. There's a three-to-one ratio. Now, in World War Two, only 10% of the force is contracted. Now it's like 75% of our force is contracted, um, which creates a strategic dependency, which is really bad for our country. Mm. Um, but most of those aren't even American. And where, what do happens they come, where do they come from for the most part? So when I was in the industry in Africa, for example, this is typical anywhere, they come from almost every continent. And it's sort of like, um, and, and, you know, I'll be, I'll be working in Africa on a, on a contract team, and I'll have next to me somebody from, like, Mexico, somebody from Ghana, Africa, somebody from New Zealand, somebody from the Philippines, somebody from Germany. I mean, you name it. Uh, and they get paid sort of different rates for doing the same job. Um, you know, especially, I was a paratrooper in the U.S. Army. I could be working next to a paratrooper or a special forces guy from El Salvador, and we'll be doing the exact same job, and I'll be making four times his salary. I'll be, be, I'll be paid sort of first world rates, and he'll be paid third world rates, and it's, it's really unfair. Um, but that's sort of the, the economy of it. Um, and so, you know, and what happens now after our contract is that El Salvador Special Forces guy, he might start up a small, you know, company of his own that actually does mercenary-like work. And that's what we're seeing happen slowly around the world. Wow. Talk about things not getting in the mainstream media. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a little tough, I think, for Americans to receive the message that, you know, we actually do this. Um, but, you know, everything I couldn't put into the nonfiction book due to um, all sorts of reasons, I put into the fiction book. And so the novel Shadow War is actually based on real-life stuff. It's, it's about this character called Tom Locke, who's a former Special Forces Army guy who is sent by the U.S. government into Ukraine to secretly fight Putin's shadow war, and he does. And... Um, but it, you know, it's a, it's a, and he has this team of other sort of mercenaries uh, around him, and it shows you actually how this industry works and all the strange interests. It's not just U.S. government. There's multi, there's corporate interests. There's everything else going on, and also Putin's using mercenaries too. And this is actually it also reveals how does Putin take over countries these days? Because what he did to the country of Georgia and what he's doing to Ukraine which is taking them over, he's going to do that to the Baltics, to Lithuania, to Estonia, to Latvia. And it might be one of the first big crises the next president will have to face. Hmm. Well, you know, when you, when you think about that, I mean, well, first of all, it's, it's like it feels like it's going back so, many, so far in history. It, it almost seems um, like it's not real. And and yet, yes, the thing that you brought up about how, I mean, really, if someone has a lot of money, all they need is money to um, to hire forces to go again, to take over countries. Right. Well, and it's not just that. It's, 
you know, oil companies, mining companies, uh, oligarchs. Uh, this is not just something, this is not just a, a new tool of statecraft. This is a new tool of the global elite. Uh, and it's developing. It's not, um, I'm not going to, I'm not suggesting that ExxonMobil is going to have its own army next year. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but they might 10 years from now. I mean, uh-huh. there's, there's no regulations in place to stop this. Hmm. Wow. Um, our society is really not going in the right directions. Uh, I mean, it's ISIS, of course, but it's also, I mean, it's, it's a sort of a general, a general um, dissolution of, of loyalty and of um, patriotism and of, I mean, I think people, so many people have, the, the world society has lost its way in so many ways. Well, I, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, um, there's a big argument out there for some sort of national service in our country. And it doesn't mean you have to serve in the U.S. military. You can serve you know, driving an ambulance or working in social services or something like that as a way to sort of bring the country together and, and yeah. sort of create a, a service ethos around uh, national patriotism and, and so forth. Um, you know, there, there's some pros and cons to that. Uh, but it's true, we're getting to an era where people, you know, not necessarily in our country, but in other countries around, like, say, Afghanistan and the Middle East, where they don't identify with their country first, they identify with their religion or their ethnic group, etc. first. Um, and, like, you know, they're second, they're Afghani or something. Um, but, you know, despite all that, um, we, we kind of, that's been what's going on in the world since 1990, since the end of the Cold War. Um, but this industry, as scary as it sounds, and it is really scary, could also be used for good. I mean, there mm-hmm. could be a way to harness yes. private security forces to, say, augment UN peacekeeping missions yeah. uh, with, with proper vetting, accountability, and training. Um, they're, they're, it's not all bad news. Uh, it, it's, it's like fire. It's a question of how we harness it. Mm-hmm. Well, we certainly need... Um strong leaders to start harnessing. I mean, I think it's like when people, when there's scarcity, um, you see this, you know, certainly as, as a psychiatrist and studying psychological experiments and so on, you see that when there's overcrowding or when there's scarcity, that animals and people resort to primitive behaviors. Right. That's right. Um, well, I, I think the, the concern here is, is that um, we have this global security trend happening underneath our feet, but it's, it seems invisible to us because we're focused on other things. Uh, and there's many things to be focused on. But, you know, the bigger concern is, is like, you know, what happens if this really does take off in the 21st century if we don't contain it now and then yes, we need to contain yes, it now yeah so that this is a bigger question and that's you know the, the, the novel is a lot of fun but it's also a, a thinking person's book too not just in in tom Locke, who's pretty you know he's like jason Bourne in some ways but his his best weapon is what's between his ears uh yes. he's smart so yeah i encourage you to check it out Yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sean McFate. Uh, his book, his current book, his just released book, the novel, is called Shadow War, a Tom Locke novel. And um, yes, and as he said, he's been able to put things from his own experience in it because of it being a so-called novel. <laughs> and um, I think the, the first book is really interesting, too, The Modern Mercenary Private Armies and What They Mean for World Order. So thank you so much for your insights on 
the Olympics, and more. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.